Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Pressure proves principles. If you want to find out if the principle that you were relying upon if you want to find out that what you believe in, if you want to find out if it is true, if it is real, just subject it to some pressure because pressure proves principles. And you find this in the lives of individuals. You find this in the lives of organizations. You find this in the life of a nation. If you look back in, say, in World War II, you find that a lot of the principles that people said they had were exposed as whether or not it was really a true lasting principle or not. The same is true today. We find just that, that pressure proves principles. And if you look back, I mentioned World War II, if you all the way back, say like 1939, 1939, around this time of year in 1939, there was a department of the British government that settled upon a five-word phrase to be used to basically reinforce some principles that the British, British citizens had. And those five words that they finalized and put them on a poster were these, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Now that's become, uh, in our culture and around the world, that's become something of, a, of a, a standard statement that you see all over the place. Keep calm and carry on. And it's important to understand that that phrase was created because the British government fully expected there would be a Nazi invasion and subsequent occupation of Great Britain. And so they were preparing the people for this, what they thought was a, a, an eventuality. Just keep calm and carry on. In the midst of the worst stuff, just keep calm and carry on. That became later known, that attitude became known as the Blitz spirit, the Blitz, the, the German bombing campaign that was leveled against Great Britain. People were said to have the Blitz spirit. What's the Blitz spirit? The Blitz spirit was the idea of at night when the Germans would launch their bombing campaign and the bombing runs would come and the sky was filled with the droning sound of the bombers and it was filled with the, the, the sirens, the, the squealing sounds, the whistling sounds of the bombs descending. It was filled with the explosions in the night the British citizens were hunkered down in shelters. They were in caves in the countryside. They were in bunkers. They were in old or in uh, uh, unoccupied tube stations. And then they would emerge in the morning and they would pick their way through the debris and the rubble and the wreckage and they would go on with life. During that bombing campaign for over a two-year span, somewhere north of 80% of London was either destroyed or damaged. Over 41,000 people were killed. Yet at the same time, 97% of the British, British citizens said, we're going to win the war. 97%. That's that blitz spirit. And it's not, just, it's not just specific to Great Britain. We can look at our history and we can look at times where we showed somewhat of that blitz spirit. But the question is this, what happens when everything falls apart? What happens when everything is knocked out from under you? 
What happens when that good old blitz spirit or that, 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 that we're just going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we got enough gumption and we got enough guts and we've got enough wherewithal, we've got enough moxie. If you're of a certain age, you understand that word. What, what are we going to do? What, what do we do when all of that is gone? Well, brings us to our last passage that we're looking at in our series, More Than a Bumper Sticker. And this passage, I've saved it to last because probably out of all of them, it is most beloved. And I will go ahead and say from a personal standpoint, Psalm 4610 has been my go-to verse in many of the darkest times of my own life. So what do we make of Psalm 4610? Be still and know that I am God. That's some 3,000 years before before the Brits came up with keep calm and carry on. Be still and know that I am God. Well, if we're going to get the full understanding of this, if we're going to get the full understanding of what God is saying in his word, then we need to put it, remember, context, context, context. We need to put it in the right context. So if you'll go with me to Psalm 46, let's just read the entirety of Psalm 46. It's not very long at all. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth. Now, you say, what does any of that mean? Well, first of all, we don't know exactly who wrote it. It says, of the sons of Korah, which means it was one of the sons of Korah who wrote this. Name not given. Occasion not given, but we can learn some things from the text. But there's this phrase, according to Alamoth. I'm I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. I really don't know. Because they believe that word, they believe the word is connected to a word that means a particular type of choral arrangement. So it's a musical notation. Like the word selah, S-E-L-A-H, that we'll see later in the psalm, and you see it sometimes through the psalms, it's a musical word that, that most people believe, most commentators believe it means for a musical pause. So there's a, there's a pause that takes place there, a pause in the singing. Maybe it's an instrumental break. And so you find that there are these musical notations in some of the psalms because the psalms were intended to be sung. So with that in mind, let's pick up with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And here's the quote, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you 
We come before you and your word, and we pray that you might speak to us this morning. You might encourage us. You might give us guidance. You might give us leadership. Father, I pray that for those who walked in this morning, those who tuned in this morning, and they are desperate for you to encourage their hearts, I pray that today you would do just that from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. There's that little bit of that blitz spirit, right? Keep calm and carry on. But this isn't just keep calm and carry on, everything's going to be okay. No, this is be still and know that I am God. This puts it on a completely different level, these two phrases some 3,000 years removed from each other. Be still and know that I am God. The first thing that you find throughout this, and we're going to be referencing a couple of verses or a few verses throughout the text this morning, but the first thing you see is that this psalm emphasizes that God is powerful. And because God is powerful, we trust him with a quiet heart. That's that idea of be still. It's, it's having a quiet disposition. It's having a quiet heart. When everything around you may be raging, your heart is quiet. My mom growing up, oh, whenever I would spend uh, the day with, with her growing up, my little brother, and she was trying to take care of my little brother, and then there was me, and you can imagine that I was totally calm and at peace and very reserved child, not really. And I remember my mother would say, she would get my brother down for a nap and she would tell me, hey, come here, come here, here, you lay down here on this side of the bed, I'm going to lay over here and we're going we're gonna to see who can be the most quiet for the longest period of time. And that worked two or three times until I realized what was happening. Because I would get still and I would get quiet and then I'd get sleepy and then I'd fall asleep. So I remember when the game changed. I remember that day, that afternoon, my mom got my brother down and then she looked at me and she said, here, why don't you lay down right here and I'm going to lay down on this side of the bed and we're going to play the quiet game and we're going to see who can be quiet, the most quiet, the longest. And after about 45 seconds, I said, I lose. You win. It's playtime. So, so the idea, this is beyond just a little time of quiet. This is beyond just, just stay calm for a little bit and the rest of the time you can just run wild. No, it means a quiet, a quiet disposition, a quiet heart that is stayed. It is a heart that is settled. It is a heart that is not running to this or that for any sort of comfort. Be still and know that I am God. Why can we have that quiet heart? Why can we be still? Because just like we sang earlier, God never stops working. He's always working and he's working in power. Look back at Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Look down at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress notice verse 9 he makes wars cease to the end of the earth he breaks the bow he shatters the spear 
Be still and know that I am God. Notice verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There are these words for strength and power. God's a refuge. God's a strength. God is in, he's not going to be moved or the, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem will not be moved. God is the one who makes wars cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariot. He's a fortress. He's a high tower. He's powerful. And because of that, we can trust him with a quiet heart. We can quit striving. We can cease grasping. We can quit running to this and that and trying to hang on to it in order to bring us comfort, in order to bring us peace. Why? Because God is powerful. Listen to Psalm uh, 37, 7. Be still before the Lord. There it is again. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. The tendency is to panic. God is saying, don't panic. Have a quiet heart. Now, I know around this time there are people like me who say, yeah, wait, wait. But sometimes God intends for us to put our hand to something and work in some some way and to do what he's called us to do. Absolutely. But whenever we even, when we obey, even in those times, we understand that God is the one with the power, not us. God is the one in control, not us. And so we trust him with this quiet heart. Some of the same words that are used in psalm uh, 46 are used later on in psalm 62 listen to psalm 62 verse 5 for god alone O my soul wait in silence for my hope is from him he is my only rock and my salvation my fortress i shall not be shaken on god rest my salvation and my glory my mighty rock my refuge is god trust in him at all times O people pour out your hearts before him god is a refuge for us what do you do when those things that you see or you believe are the most stable things in your life prove to be completely and totally unstable? And when those things that you depend upon start falling apart at the seams, what do you do? What do you do when, when all those connections that you may have start, start turning south? What do you do when, when you've worked and worked and worked to achieve some sort of social standing and you find all that just taken away from you? You know, I've never seen anyone climbing the social ladder who has had their ladder against the right wall. Never. It's always against some sort of wall of self-promotion or something like that. No, we have to understand we, we, are, we are seeking God. We're moving toward God. We're, we're, we're depending upon God, not our social standing not our abilities, not things that we possess, not anything of this matter. We, we have to depend completely and totally upon God and we can trust him with a completely and totally quiet heart because God's in control and God's powerful. How would life be different if you lived like God was in control? How, let me ask you this. And this is a question that I ask myself, all right? Because I remember hearing an old pastor one time saying, if you don't believe the words to the song, why are you singing them? I thought, man, that hurts. And I stood down there just a few moments ago as we were singing. And I was like, Lord, I want to live like these words that I am singing that are found in your word. I want to live like those are true. 
How would your life be different over the last week if you lived like God was as powerful of a God as you, as you sing that he is, as you see that he is, realizing that he's got it. Sometimes I, I get on the phone with people. Uh, I had just this week, I had to talk with someone. They had a, we had a long talk and they were talking and they were like, I'm just worried and I'm fearful and I'm anxious and all these things are falling apart and all these things are happening. And I said, but is God still powerful? Yeah, yeah, yeah God's still powerful, but you know, I mean, you know. Okay, wait, wait, no. God is still powerful. God is still on the throne. God is still ruling over all things. God's still in control. Trust him with a quiet heart. You find in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Peter writes, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I said we don't know the context of Psalm 46. But apparently, there in Psalm 46... The, the nation and the city of Jerusalem, they're facing some opposition. They may be facing some invaders. Some have said they believe this may have been written around the time when the Assyrians were about to descend upon the nation. Nobody knows for certain, but clearly they're facing something. And Peter writes, if you're suffering in the middle of doing the will of God, if you're in the middle of the will of God and you are suffering, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. It's better to suffer for God and being in the center of his will than for everything to be okay and you to be out of God's will. Because if you're out of God's will, it doesn't matter what else is okay. You're in trouble if you're outside of God's will. Stay in God's will. I had a talk with a person one time, came to my office a number of years ago for counseling. And he told me his plan to get out of a particular situation. And that particular situation was, was brought on not by any sin, not by any fault, not by anything along those lines. He was being completely and totally faithful to the call of God, to the word of God, to the leading of God. And he ended up in the midst of a very dark and a very difficult season, kind of like Job. And then he told me his plan to extricate himself from that situation. And you know what his plan involved? Walking away from trusting God to figure this out himself. And I looked at him and I said, if, if your faithfulness to God got you in this situation, do you really believe that unfaithfulness is going to get you out of it? It's your faithfulness to God has led you into this dark valley. Don't turn around and walk out of the valley and quit walking with God simply because the valley is dark. He's promised he will be with you in those valleys. So you keep walking. You don't abandon God because it gets hard. He said, yeah, but why do you think God would let me, why do you think God would let me walk through this period of darkness and this period of struggle and this period of difficulty? I mean, I mean, surely, surely God just wants me to fix it myself. No, God wants to show you, bro, exactly how much God he really is. He wants you to know something about him that you might not know any other way. So you keep walking and you keep trusting him with a quiet heart because he's a powerful God. Which brings us to the next part of that phrase, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. All through Psalm 46, there's indications of the presence of God. Look at um, verse 5. 
God is in the midst of her. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 11, again, same phrase. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's only powerful. God's present. And since he's present, you can know him for who he is. Be still and know that I am God. Notice he doesn't say this. Be still and know about me. No. There's a difference in knowing about God and knowing God. God says, be still and know that I am God. Using that covenantal name of God, by the way. I am. The I am. The ever, the ever present, always, always has been, always will be eternal, infinite God of the universe. I am. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know me for who I am. Because I'm present. I'm a present God. That's what you find in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Go back to Psalm chapter or Psalm 9. Psalm 9, 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God's not going anywhere. God will stay with his people, even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when, even when his presence is not immediately evident, he's still there. He is still in the midst. Jeremiah 9, 23, thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. God says, you want to take comfort in something? You want to brag about something? You want to depend upon something? You want to look at something and praise it? Don't praise all the earthly earthly things. They may be good things, but that's not what you're depending upon. The fact that you understand and you know me, says God, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He is present and we can know him for who he is. There's an interesting little phrase that's found here in Psalm 46. This one little verse, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, Then on to verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You go back in history. You find that many of the great world civilizations drew their livelihood from physical rivers. You find Egypt. The Nile ran through the major cities of Egypt. So you find that these major cities were built there on the river. You find in Babylon, the river Euphrates ran right down through this vast city. And there was part of the city on one side of one of the banks and part of the city on the other. The river split that city. You go to Rome and you have the Tiber River that was depended upon by all these Roman citizens. And then you get to Jerusalem and you say, ah, it's the Jordan. Wait now. That's 20 miles away at the least. What's he talking about? Because there's no river that flows through Jerusalem. None. But Jerusalem was fed by an underground spring. Actually, two of them. And one of them's name inside the city walls was Gihon. And and it's basically an underground river that's just flowing underneath the city of Jerusalem. 
So is he talking about that spring? Well, maybe in part. But the point here is not the underground spring or the physical river. The point is God's very presence there in that place. Interestingly enough, we find when the, the world waxes old and, and, and the return of Jesus occurs, and then there in that time of that kingdom, there will be a river that flows off of that hill. Some believe it's going to be the Gihon Spring that's going to, cra- the, the world, the earth's going to crack open. And some believe that that Gihon Spring is just going to come gushing out of that hillside there in Jerusalem. And it's going to flow all the way down to the Dead Sea, according to the Bible. But you find that God's presence is going to spread from that place. That's what the psalmist is writing about. It's the presence of God. If the Nile, if they had a bad year with the Nile, oh, now, the Egyptians had a problem. If the Euphrates was running low, the people of Babylon had a problem. If the Tiber River started drying up, the Romans had a problem. And God is letting his people know, oh, no, 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 no. There's a river flowing in your midst, and it does not run dry. There is a river that's flowing in your midst that is deep, and it is my presence. It is me. I'm the one who quenches your thirst. I'm the one who provides for you. It's all dependent upon me, and you can know me. That's the idea that God is showing here. And then we, we are to grow in that knowledge of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and, the day of, and to the day of eternity. Amen. We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Listen, do you know Jesus more, more deeply, more accurately, more biblically today than you did yesterday? Sometimes you talk to people about their salvation experience. You're talking about when they first trusted Christ. Or you ask them about their testimony. What's God been doing in your life? And they give you their testimony, and then they don't have anything. Well, how is God shaping you? Yeah, but I'm saved. Well, how is God growing you? Yeah, but I'm okay. I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah, but what is God showing you about himself? How is God teaching you? How is your trust increasing? How is your love for him increasing? How is your desire for him increasing? Oh, no, 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 no. I won't become no fanatic. No, I'm okay. It's like, you know, God knows that I try. God knows where. No, listen. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to know more about him growing in that walk with him. Been married to my wife here for just a couple of years. I know her better now than I did when we first got married. Some of y'all can attest to this, right? Y'all know that y'all have the same thing. You think you know somebody, and then you get married to them. And then you go, what, what? I know she said that. Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy that I married, right? You, because you're growing in that knowledge. You're growing in that understanding. You're growing in that depth. And this is a relationship with God, and it requires us. It, it, it requires of us to grow in a, a deepening knowledge and a deepening love and a deepening desire for God himself. We can know him, and he's present. Isn't that the beautiful thing? He's present. He's there in the midst. He's with them. 
No matter what's happening in your world, when everything is falling to pieces, he's with us. He's with you. Though all these things may be happening, listen, the earth giving way, verse 2, the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, the waters roaring and foaming, the mountains trembling at the swelling, the nations raging, the kingdoms totter, the earth melts. In the midst of all that, God is saying, I'm in the middle of it. I'm walking with you through that. I'll walk, I'll walk with you through the, the family turmoil. I'll walk with you through the financial strain. I'll walk you through the health problems. I'll walk with you through national uproar. I'll walk with you through everything because I'm God. I am God. I am God alone. And he's knowable. That very idea, y'all, that he is a knowable God. We can know God, not just about him, but know him personally, intimately, individually. We can know God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, normally we leave off there, but God's not done talking. Look at the rest of that verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He's powerful. Yes, he's present. Yes, but he's also praiseworthy. And we worship him because he's worthy. This is what he's saying. I will be exalted among the nations. All the nations of the world. I will be exalted one day. Either the nation will bow to me out of that fear and out of that awe or will bow to me out of that love and admiration every person on the face of the earth will face god one day and whenever we say oh other well, these people are getting away with nobody gets away with anything how do you know because of the cross that's how we know nobody gets away with anything because somebody paid for sin if, everybody, if people just got away with anything, the cross would be unnecessary. The cross is very necessary to know God simply because nobody gets away with anything. There had to be a substitute, Jesus, in our place. And so then we look and we say, yeah, but, but doesn't God see this? Yes. Doesn't God see that? Yeah, nothing escapes his attention. God sees all things. God knows all things and God will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in the earth, in all the earth. God's going to be exalted. It's just going to be God. That's all. It's not going to be a matter of, well, you know, who's, who's sitting in the white house or who's in the speaker's seat in Congress. No, it's a matter of who's on the throne. That's what it all comes down to. Who is on the throne? God. With whom does he share the throne? Nobody. And so God is the one who is going to be exalted. He's praiseworthy. Listen to Isaiah 2, verse 11. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Listen, I don't know. I don't know what's falling apart in your life. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what seems to be slipping out of your control. But can I just tell you, you can be still and know that he is God. And he is a God that will be exalted among the nations. And in all the earth, one day he will be exalted. See, you notice that's future. He will be. He says so. He will be. 
That's not hopeful. That's not wishful. That's definitive. He will be exalted one day. And because of that, we can say like Habakkuk. We, we went through, when we studied through Habakkuk, we looked at that, this passage that we're just looking at, we're about to look at in just a moment. Listen to the words of Habakkuk. Sounds an awful lot like some of the things mentioned in Psalm 46. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Habakkuk is now, set, it's now settling in with Habakkuk that God is about to send the Babylonians, which we talked about when we looked at Jeremiah. God is about to send the Babylonians to exercise judgment upon the nation. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He's in fear. Though the fig tree, oh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, back to verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk says, if all the nation... Is turned upside down. If everything we depend upon is taken away, if all that we think is stable becomes unstable, if all that we see is dependable becomes undependable, if everything that we cling to for comfort now is gone and now we are very uncomfortable, he says, I'm still going to rejoice. I'm still going to praise God. Why? Because God is praiseworthy. God is not just praiseworthy because of his actions. God is praiseworthy because of who he is. He's just worthy. He's worthy of praise. And so many times we want to make the praise of God dependent upon what he has done. Yes, we praise him for what he's done. But what about those times where we can't see his hand working? What about those times where his hand is obscured? What about those times when the difficulty seems so much greater and we can't really discern the path that God is leading us on? Can I tell you, he's still praiseworthy. We still worship him. We still praise him because he is absolutely positively worthy of our praise no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So let me ask you this. Real quick. Don't don't zone out just yet. Real quick. Where is it that God has been telling you to be still and know that he is God? What's that area of life? Or maybe God hasn't been telling you that. Maybe you haven't been reminded of that here recently, but maybe this morning. Be still and know that I am God. What is that situation, that circumstance, that problem, that predicament in your life that seems most out of your control? What's the thing that's keeping you awake at night? 
What's the thing that's causing the most mental energy that you are focusing up on it and worrying about it? Or what's that thing that you are trying to turn over in your head to try to figure out the human plan in order to deal with it? You got it? Can I just tell you, based on God's word, that's not saying that we should not be obedient and step out in faith and act when God tells us to act. Be still. Trust him with a quiet heart. Trust him in the midst of that. If God has not opened a door, then, then pray, seek, knock, ask, absolutely, and wait. And do exactly what he tells you in the waiting. See, waiting, we tend to think of waiting as always passive. No, waiting is an active thing. Have you ever tried it? It's exhausting. It's exhausting to wait in the right way because you exhaust all of your human resources. And then when you reach that point and God says, now, now you'll listen. Now you, now, now it's just me. Now you've just got me. Now pay attention. Be still and know that he's God. This is one of the things, I don't do it perfectly. You've heard me say this before. This is one of the things that I've begun asking God in the midst of those situations you can't get out of. I'll ask God, God, please show me yourself in this. God, I don't want to miss you in the midst of this. Teach me what you want to teach me about you in the midst of this, God. Please don't let me miss this. Be still, know that he's God. And then praise him in the middle of it. That's one of the antidotes to panic. You do know that. Praise. You got panic coming on? Just praise God. Praise God that he's in control. Praise God that he's powerful. Praise God that he knows all things. Praise God that he knows how he's going to extract you out of that pit. Or he knows how to give you the perseverance to stay in it as long as he keeps you there. He's praiseworthy. So so stay put, even if in the situation God moves you out of the situation, stay put in God. Abide in Christ. Don't move out from under that. He takes you through that dark valley. Don't think that because faithfulness got you in that situation, unfaithfulness will get you out. You be still. And know that he's God because he will be exalted in the nations and he will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we come before you recognizing that there are, there are concerns, there are issues, there are burdens, there are weights all across this room. There are burdens and concerns and problems and weights in our community in our nation in our world and father it's easy to look at these situations and just throw up our hands and say it's it's useless father anything apart from you is useless father i pray that you might use these situations these circumstances these difficulties these problems these valleys, these trials to help us understand that we can trust you completely with quiet hearts, with quiet spirits, knowing that you're God and we're not and being okay with that. Not just okay, but embracing that and loving that and accepting that and taking those opportunities to walk more closely to you, to walk with you, knowing that you're present and that we can know you for who you are 
And as we know you, as we reflect upon your power, we turn and we give you praise. We give you praise now. The world, the nations, they don't see you as you are. They don't know you as the powerful God of all the universe. They don't know that you're on the throne. Father, we do. If we're followers of Christ, we know. So let our praise be first. Let it be first on our lips, your people. And the nations and the rest of the earth, they'll follow. The day will come, they'll all take a knee to you. Everyone will bow. Father, may we already have knees that bow before you, but not just knees that bow before you. May our hearts bow. May our minds bow before you. May all our thoughts and all our worries, all our desires, all our fears, all our darkest nights, all of our greatest mountaintop victories, may they all bow before you, recognizing that it is all from you. You're the powerful God who is with us, who is worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, all the worship. Brother, I pray for anybody here this morning. They don't have that peace. They don't have that that solid ground they can stand on when everything else is slipping away. They've tried to maybe even address their sin in, by their own means, by their own hand. And they keep coming up empty and they'll continue to come up empty, Lord God, till they trust the one who has dealt with sin with finality. And that's Jesus on the cross. Lived a, sin, a, a, a selfish life, a perfect life, died a sinner's death. Even though he was completely and totally perfect, he died in our place selfless, selflessly so that we might know you. So God, I pray that today would be the day that some people would say yes, yes to Christ, turning from their sins and turning toward Christ and to know that peace that passes all understanding, that peace that comes from knowing you as our God. And God, there are families here and there are individuals here. And I'll just say it. I know there are people here, Lord God, not, not because they've spoken to me. I, I, just, I just know that there, there are people here who walked in this morning and they've been asking you, Lord God, Give me some encouragement. God, I need, I need enough strength for this next step. I need enough strength for this next breath. Lord God, I'm asking you to please just give me something to help me make it through the next few days. I know that's the case because there have been many times over my years as a Christian that I've sat in the pew and I have said the same thing. So I know there are people here who are saying it. God, I pray that into that moment you might, you just might pour yourself and they might trust in you with a quiet heart and be still and know, and know that you are God. Let them know that, God. Not because of anything they did, not because we're worthy, not because, just because you're a merciful, loving God who wants to be known. Let them see you. 
in your word, by your spirit, let them see who you are and grant them that comfort. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.